Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Classroom Critics Podcast, a podcast by teachers discussing open form style films that we love, films that we often teach and sort of consider to be classics. Important films, maybe. Is that too pretentious? No. No. All right. Really darn good films. We say they're important, and they are. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Hello, gentlemen. My name is Bill Ivers. I am joined, and I'm going to go in the opposite direction this time, Mr. Walter Freeman. Hello. And Mr. Michael Mulvey. Hey. Not necessarily in the order of importance, so. That's for sure. <laughs> or in the order of importance. <laughs> Today we are going to discuss Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood masterpiece, a Western film that I think we've all taught. Yep. And uh, we're going to discuss its merits, uh, anything we have to say about it. So... Can we do that? Certainly. Ready. All right. So, um, one thing I bring up with the kids whenever we, whenever I show Unforgiven to them, and um, you know, it's, I often teach by genre. Uh, it's it's the the relevance of the western and why we don't see many westerns uh, produced or, you know, even as as options when we go to the movies now. We'll, you know, it's been a while since a classic western has been released. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are Westerns do do exist, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarantino had one a yeah, couple right. years ago. The Hateful Eight, you know, Western. Right. Right. But there was a time, you know, a few decades ago, where Hollywood was churning out dozens of Westerns every single year. You know, you, you'd you'd see Westerns on marquees constantly. It was, it was always an option. And then in the 60s, it sort of, you know, went out of fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, before we get into the specifics of the film itself, I mean, can we talk about the, the relevance of of the Western, is it still relevant today? Often I get resounding no's from students. I would say, well, yes, when you say you're going to show a Western and they, like, they groan, uh, but they were overproduced, of course. Every TV show for a while uh, in, the, in the 50s and 60s was a Western and the films. There are very good movies. Yeah, they're very good modern westerns that, that sort of fly under the radar because of that. I mean, mm-hmm. Appaloosa with Viggo Mortensen, mm-hmm. um, 310 to Yuma was yeah. a remake, was very good, but they don't tend to really strike audiences anymore and I, I would personally blame either the fact that they were overproduced or the fact that the genre has changed from the uh, uh, mythical American myth of the West which is what they you know westerns were for a long time to sort of a more of a revisionist look at things um, and and I, I don't think they've refound their niche I say yeah there was a shift right um, where they became more cynical, the Western mm-hmm. Western sort of began to uh, question their own um, idealism, right? Yeah. Um, and I, th- you know, Forgiven definitely falls in that category. Uh, are we too cynical as a society to, um, you know, to pay too much attention or to value some of the the themes that Westerns often bring up? Well, when you look at, you know, as Horace Greeley's famed Go West Young Man, uh, although I don't think he actually said that, but, uh, you know, the appeal of going there was this very, uh, how wonderful America is, but the real story of westward expansion is ugly, it's tragic, we're not really the good guys in that story, and sometimes I think we don't 
want to be reminded of that when mm-hmm. we, we go to the films anymore. Yeah, it's definitely got that idealized notion of like the romantic vision of you know uncharted territory. Go out and discover yourself in the process of discovering the land. You know, and I always when I present the westerns as a unit, I always want the kids to kind of focus on you know the evolution of the portrayal of the Native American on film. You know, because the first film I show in the Uber is, um, you know, the, uh, the Searchers, which is a great film. But let's be honest, you know, the Native American is not portrayed too well in the film. You know, not even portrayed for the most part by Native American people. No. You know, and then like, like Ward Bond or something. Right. <laughs> One of the old actors. Exactly. You know, and then you know, like the evolution of the films that I show, you know, definitely have a kind of a revisionist history. You know, I show Dances with Wolves in there as well. You know, so like the, you know the Native Americans portrayed very well and you know victimized in the you know an authentic way in which you know they were victimized. You know, and it shows that accurately on film. Yeah. You know, what is it about the Western? Whether you're talking about the Golden Age of the Western or the, you know, the more uh, cynical. Clint Eastwood style mm-hmm. westerns. What about the western? Do you think sort of turns off young viewers today? I just, you know, the, it's not something that they, you know. It's ancient history. You know, it's not something you can kind of ideally relate to. You know what yeah. I mean? It's it's so far part of history that it's you know not at their fingertips. Yeah. You know yeah. everything. Every you know when you think about it like, as a genre, you know like science fiction that could happen in the future. Westerns are the past. You know, romances happen today. You know, action films happen today. Westerns happened before. Uh, yeah, Western is a very, very specific genre. I mean, can you mm-hmm. think of any other genre that actually puts you in a specific uh, yeah. geographical location at a specific time? A Western mm-hmm. has to be a classic Western. Right. It uh, has to be, what, it's 1965, it has to be post-Civil War, really, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, till what, yeah, when there were territories, yeah. Mexico territory. And, you know. uh, eventually, the dramatic <clears throat> vibrancy of, of that specific time and place mm-hmm. is not possible yeah, with you know a short time period and right. time frame there has to be a certain element of lawlessness mm-hmm. where the territory law is different than American law right definitely where you know the the, the nearest I don't know uh, you know whatever sheriff is yeah, a, or a courthouse a, or whatever it may be yeah you but know. you know you even look at, at fans of the western my brother who, who you know um, we've talked about uh he was a big fan of the John Wayne Western. I mean, he, he'll watch every John Wayne movie mm-hmm. all, all day well. long. Yep. But he wouldn't watch Deadwood, when uh, mm-hmm. which was the HBO show, which I found to be fantastic. And I like John Wayne Westerns, too. But mm-hmm. I, I, I referred to him, to Deadwood, thinking that he would really like the, the Western grittiness to it. And he could barely get through an episode. And uh, it just didn't appeal to him. And, and I think... He probably didn't idealize it, like John Wayne films do. Exactly. And, and, uh, and I think, um, you know... I, I think if we don't have our ideal West, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and I think, uh, you know, like, they're, you think about them, too. They're uniquely American stories. You know, the West is, like, a uniquely American thing. There have been, you know, others that have been made, like, you know, I was just looking up online, the, you know, the movie that I always think of is the Australian one, The Proposition, you know, which is yep. a really good Western, but that takes place in Australia. You know, a lot of Clint Eastwood's earlier films, his Westerns, were spaghetti Westerns filmed in... Um, Italy. Yeah, in Sicily. You know, which mimicked the Southwest, but they were supposed to be taking place in the Southwest. Sure. But you know, they were just cheaply made in Italy. Yeah. So you know, that's a uniquely American thing. Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, the whole notion of the Odyssey of going out there—that's not a unique thing. That's you know, been the, the story from the dawn of mankind. But right. you know, the whole notion of like the time and place of it—uniquely American. Right. And no other genre is uniquely American. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the young people, and I'm generalizing here because I do have a lot of students who do like, uh, in fact, they, they watch the westerns that we show in class 
and then they come out the other end sort of saying, well, I, those are much better, better than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. But the, they're kind of like surface level um, perception of it is, you know, they often think they're corny, mm-hmm. uh, which and they are, they can be, I mean, going back to the, you know, the golden ages we discussed, um, just some things to discuss here as we make the shift to talk about Unforgiven. Gene Autry set mm-hmm. forward the, uh, you know, the so-called... The singing cowboy. The, yeah, the, right. the cowboy code, and mm-hmm. he claims, the, he gives 10 mm-hmm. uh, points that make up the uh, the cowboy code. So let's go through them here. First one, a cowboy never takes unfair advantage of an enemy, or, an, uh, um, you know, on anyone, mm-hmm. which, again, we got to keep in mind that eventually these things become yeah. uh, challenged. Right, corrupted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second one, um, a cowboy never betrays a trust. He never goes back on his word. See, I mean, a true cowboy, yeah. I would say. Yeah. I mean, you get you get eyes you know eyes rolled when you yeah. sometimes say these things to a to a class like really. Mm-hmm. Um, a cowboy always tells the truth. Yeah. <laughs> um, when it's convenient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A cowboy is kind and gentle to small children, old folks, and animals. As long as they're white. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not branding the animal. Oh, going, going with that, a cowboy is, um, is free from racial and religious intolerances. Oh. I scoff at that. <laughs> uh, a cowboy is always helpful when someone's in trouble. Uh, you wonder, this, this cowboy never existed. I think well, I, you know, I think it's kind of going back to you know, chivalry code. You know, it's kind of, it sounds like a knight. You know, a knight in shining armor. You know, there was an actual chivalry code. It's the same type of thing. And when you think about it, they are kind of like the knights, you know, modern-day knights. Yeah. So in that sense, they're not uniquely American, definitely. But, you know. But like that, the real knight was far from the actual right. chivalry code. I mean, right. look at the, the horrors committed on the Crusades. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. All in religious, you know, intolerance. Yeah. It's just, it's almost like this reality, it only exists. So it's not a reality. It just only exists in an idealistic mm-hmm. hindsight view of it. Right. Or, 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 you know, you, it exists only in, in, perhaps in fiction. You know, I mean, the, how about this one? Uh, a cowboy is always helpful when someone's in trouble. Mm-hmm. It, you know, or even John Wayne's characters weren't always like that. Yeah, the know? searchers. He was. Yeah. He was. He was openly racist, and mm-hmm. that was that was part of the characterization. Right. So I think the Western really becomes interesting and relevant to most viewers when these when these things become challenged. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I think like any any genre of film, the, the great films in the genre transcend the genre. Right. Because um, not every film noir has a femme fatale. Right. Not every film noir is dark and brooding. You know what I mean? But there's that element. You know, there are commonalities regardless. Mm-hmm. You know. How about this one? A cowboy respects womanhood, his parents, and his nation's laws. Yeah. Well, it's you, a relative term. You yeah. think of the o- opening scene of High Plains Drifter with Clint Eastwood and. You know, he, he he comes into town, and the first thing he does is kill five people and, and rape a woman. Yeah, and and he's the hero. Well, sure. you know, in the sense of like protecting well, women as well. You know, in that sense, because like in the Searchers again, you know, when the men are fighting over the Vera Miles character, you know, Ethan locks the women into a room so they can't watch the fight. Don't forget, you're a lady. You know, type mm-hmm. of thing. And you know, but then they kind of, you know, who are the, who is he to say that they can't watch the film or watch the fight? You know, it's yeah. it's absurd. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and the Cowboys of Patriot mm-hmm. is, the, is the last one here. You know, we have examples of some Clint Eastwood films where you know, like Outlaw Josie Wales, where he's a uh, 
He's a confederate. He's a confederate <laughs> right. And refuses to surrender. So is John Wayne. Yeah. In Searchers, you know. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of his films, they, they, they play the, the idea of the confederacy, the, the nobility of the confederacy, mm-hmm. not right. the actual uh, right. pro-slavery uh, secession from America confederates. Yeah. Um, which is ironic. I mean, it's, it's funny that John Wayne, who is the icon of America, would, would choose to be a Confederate in so many films. And, and, and in others, he was Union in, in mm-hmm. um, The Undefeated. He right. was yeah. an expat Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he would turn down roles based on you know the, the nobility of the character, or nobility in, in his own eyes, or you know he would refuse to shoot have his character shoot people in the back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've heard stories of he, that. He turned down the Gene Wilder role in Blazing Saddles. Yeah. <laughs> That would have been brilliant. That would have been but, hilarious. <laughs> I think that own code you're reading, I mean, even even from the early days of the, of the film Western, they weren't following that code. I mean, nah. the Gene Autry era faded out, but... Uh, um, I can't think of one film that I no. think you know, follows that to a T. Maybe My Darling Clementine or something like that, you know? Sure. But there's a cynicism that, that we embrace today in our films, mm-hmm. The Dark yeah. Side, and, and, and it's not an evil cynicism. It's just this no. one thing where, you know... Think, well, there's another sheet that I, you know, share with the kids where I think that there's three elements. You know, you have a, your gun, the clothes on your back, and your horse. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're kind of fending for yourself in a lawless place. Rugged you know? individualism is, right. is a key component. Yeah. But I think I think there there were films that abided by this, but they're not remembered. We don't right. remember them because they're they're, they're now. Well, those are the pieces. serial westerns that you know, like well, they show on AMC on Saturday afternoons or. You know that were the cliffhangers. That you yeah. know where we get the term cliffhanger from. Yeah. You know the cowboys and Indians, the good versus evil type of thing. You know yeah. the, you know what we'd be horrified to watch nowadays. You know it's saying cowboys and Indians as opposed to Native Americans. Or exactly. You know. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the specific uh, film, Unforgiven. Well, I think like you know, getting back to like you know whether or not what elements commonality westerns have, like the line in there that I think kind of personifies westerns is like you know he had it coming. You know, and then his line is, you know, we all had we it all coming. Have it. Yeah, we all have it coming. Have it coming. Yeah. You know, yeah. which that that is a Western, we all have it coming. Right, yeah. You right. Know? And that, that, you know, supersedes just Westerns as well. We all have it coming in life. Fairness has nothing to do with it. Right. Right. Yeah. I if mean, life I, were fair, everybody would be happy and, you know, there would be no, you know, just, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously many things to discuss about this film, and hopefully we'll, we'll cover a lot of ground. But uh, for me, this film... On one level is a, um, I think it's a swan song. Mm-hmm. Uh, to his earlier career. To his earlier career, and in fact, it, doesn't the film end with an image of him at the, at the grave, yeah. looking down as if to say, "I'm putting to rest." Right, that my, character. My career, the the man with no name character that he hasn't done a western. I don't see foresee him doing another western. Mm. He probably won't. Who knows? But uh, could we also say that it could be the last great western ever? No, I think the genre will be rediscovered. And I, yeah. I, I put forth, there's been some terrific Westerns. They mm-hmm. just, the people don't, uh, they don't stand out. Uh, they, they come and go and, and, you know. Like the one I mentioned, I think The Proposition is a great film, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, we show True Grit, you know, the, the remake. Know, the remake, those, yeah. Which, which I like. It's I, a terrific I, I love that movie. film. Yeah. The, kid, the kids like it, too. When yeah, it. yeah. I look at you know Clint Eastwood's career, even as a cowboy western. Yeah, he was on the very traditional rawhide uh, mm-hmm. on TV. But when he began making the spaghetti westerns that, that made him famous, he was already the anti-cowboy, and John yeah. Wayne refused to work with him. Uh, and and so yeah, an Unforgiven, you know, Clint was always uh, staunchly conservative, even mm-hmm. in the liberal '60s and '70s. His films, you know, Dirty Harry and the Man with No Name, were right vigilante type of mentality. Yeah, yeah. and very violent, and mm-hmm. and so. But but 
Unforgiven and, and Clinton is you know still famously conservative, mm-hmm. but is a strangely anti-conservative film. Uh, in that that whole uh, rah rah notion of what I used to be is not. Accurate. Well, he's a sensitive father yeah. as well. You know, he's now raising small children, and you know, doesn't want to be that man for those children. You know, and he realizes I can't be that horrible person that you know bereft of any soul. You know, when I've raised children in this world, I don't want them to be in this world. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, when I teach this film, we kind of discuss you know the title itself unforgiven mm-hmm. um what's it f- referring to right and you know the discussion comes up it's it's perhaps you know it's it's him mm-hmm. it's uh his actions previous to his marriage or something yeah mm-hmm. you know it, when it's all said and done um a leopard can't change its spots mm-hmm. uh it well people don't i think it makes it. the argument that people don't really change yeah you know he tried yeah well, that, that's the subtext of um of English Bob's character right. where he's trying to have a writer document the romanticized version of who he is as a gunfighter and then mm-hmm. little Bill comes along and exposes him as a charlatan and a coward right. tells the real truth of what happened uh, why the one guy was called Two-Gun but then little Bill starts to embrace that mythology itself right. he wants to be the one that the writer is documenting but then he turns out to be a terrible person mm-hmm. Uh, I find a lot of similarity between little Bill and then the you know the character and the, the bad guy in Magnificent Seven you know, it's kind of like when they come back, he's like, you came back to this town. You know, and like little Bill has that kind of, you know, mentality too. Like, how dare you question little Bill? You know, and like this is almost like weirdness to the character that's, you know, in a, you know not necessarily inauthentic, but just kind of, you know, eccentric. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, Gene Hackman won the award for that that year too. You know, you know right. best supporting actor. Oh, gosh. Well she's, deserved. Yeah. What a great character. I mean, he's so menacing in, in, yeah. in such a non-menacing way. I like the fact that he's, a terrible carpenter and he's building a house that right. leaks which is, is basically a metaphor for his own mm-hmm. character he's trying to be a sheriff but he's a brutal right. violent you know egotistical yeah. man I could be a great sheriff too if I just shot everybody yeah. that disagreed with me you can't shoot me I'm building a house right <laughs> but you talked about I, I mean as I said I think a, a great western can transcend genre you can Understand Unforgiven if you are a fan of Clint Eastwood's whole career as mm-hmm. as as a sort of a, an antithesis to his own character, or you can see it as a story in and of itself, mm-hmm. uh, as a you know story of, of a lack of redemption for past actions, and that's why I think the film works on numerous levels, mm-hmm. and, and I, I love to show. Well, not not necessarily a classroom, but you, you take a film like High Plains Drifter, or Fistful of Dollars, uh, yep. and 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 then show it against Unforgiven, and you can see the. The evolution of the man with no right. name from a romanticized figure to a figure of revulsion. Mm-hmm. You don't think here's you don't think that Clint Eastwood was trying to make his earlier characters um, statements of you know anti-violent. It, it, it seems like it's counterintuitive, but you think that perhaps and he even said that Outlaw Josie Wales was an anti-war movie. I, I don't necessarily see. Um, the outlaw Josie Wales or some of his earlier westerns as glorifying the cowboy or, the, or, mm. or glorifying violence, but showing the horrifying nature of violence or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't view Unforgiven as a rebuttal to himself. I view it almost mm-hmm. as, as a um, kind of like the final statement of a body of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, because yeah, that person eventually had it coming. Yeah. So, you know, so I mean, could, I mean, could the character, character created, yeah. could the character of William Money be Josie Wales mm-hmm. later on in life. Later in life. Well, there's right. a lot of similarities to, to the gray site and the, and the deeper motivation, but I do see it as a rebuttal. 
uh, of his early what is he, What is he rebutting? Like, uh, uh, I mean, not we can, we can't necessarily, you know, you know. I think we have to make sure that we're rebutting. Is he rebutting against his own directorial work? Or the wor- the work where he was directed. I don't think he's rebutting the outlaw Josie Wales, which is where he began to add deeper motivations to a character. But in the old fr- from uh, fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, high plains drifter, which by the way is a very unique western in, mm-hmm. in, in terms of things because of, of what it ends up being. But I think he's rebutting that man with no name character, not not Josie Wales, and but, giving it kind of some depth to that character. Yeah, because because we want to like William Money mm-hmm. as the guy who comes in shooting everybody as the earlier films were, but, but when you get down to it, William Money's not a hero or even a good character. You know, that scene where they're shooting the guy with the rifle from the rocks is just horrifying. And yeah. So people are looking at that and going, oh, yeah, that's the old Root and Toot and Clint. But then it's like, well, wait a minute. This is a repulsive character. But he still, you know, like, lets him stop and give him water. You right. Know what I mean, There's, would that character have done so in the 70s? You but, know what I mean? but I think, I think, I think the same people who look at some of the early Clint Eastwood characters as like, yeah, you know... Um, you know, while his gun toting, mm-hmm. shoot him up kind of guy, and, and, and views them, views them, that same character in a heroic sense. I think they're almost the same people that don't get it when they watch Scarface or, or Godfather, and it's like, yeah, but when actually these films are actually yeah, look at what Michael has at the end of Godfather Part Two. Right, right. So I mean, I'm, yeah. I, I want. I mean, I wonder if <clears throat> William Money is the man with no name, mm-hmm. just older. Yeah, he is. But like I said, you root for the man with no name. When he's do you are you supposed to? I think so. in the context yeah, of the, the movies, you are. Yeah. Um, and yet you, you William don't Money, do you want him. to root for him, but in the end, you realize you can't mm-hmm. root for him. He's he's horrific, and then in the end, it's kind of horrifying to me that he disappears with those children. Right. Well, uh, I think he just kind of shows yeah. and you know horrifies the prostitutes that hire him, you know, because they realize what if we unleashed. You know what I mean? We've we've basically unleashed this beast, you know, and that could get its revenge against us as well. Because he threatens that. But he has an odd morality. Like, yeah. He doesn't want free ones from the prostitute. Right. Because he doesn't but want... But then he lies to her about why. Yeah. You know, which he easily could have just said, look, I'm honoring my dead wife. You know, could have easily said that as a character and it would have been, you know, acceptable and understandable. But he doesn't, you know. you know. What's his motivation for accepting that that money and, and going on this mission why do you think he he does it I think he well he's facing financial ruin because his pigs are all diseased right mm-hmm. so I think it's you know at least like he made he realizes that he's an old man with young children and perhaps he won't be around all the time and wants to make sure his children are provided for yeah. is he a change is he a changed man is he a redeemed man or a reformed man at the beginning of the movie who is pretending to be reformed or is, or, or is he true or is he truly reformed who loses himself again. What what which one is it? Well I think, I think you can ladder. be I think you can change your tech, but still you're going to hell. Yeah. I mean no, right. he, he cannot you can't redeem everything that he did. Yeah. He dynamited children there yeah. as a as a as a bank robber when he blew up a train. And I think you know it's like that movie Road to Perdition with Tom mm-hmm. Hanks. Right. Where Tom Hanks saves his son's soul, but he is his soul is not going you know, Paul no, Newman's character says his... it none of us will see heaven. Right. So I think that he knows he's going to hell, but he's still trying to do the right thing beyond that. He tries to cling to that, mm-hmm. but there's no... He's unforgiven. There's yeah, no, there's no redemption for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just wondering, though, you know, is he... Because he seems like he's someone who's, like, throughout the movie trying to convince himself of something he doesn't really believe, where he keeps saying, you know, I'm not like that anymore, or my wife, you know, she showed me the way. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like... 
you know, you know sometimes when someone's trying to convince themselves of something right. they don't necessarily truly believe in. I, so I don't know if he, at the beginning, is truly reformed. I, I don't... Or that know. he finally becomes who he is when he, like, kills all the people in the, the saloon at the end he, or whatever. Right, yeah, like... And I think that, you know, it's like, okay, fine, you brought me back to this point, but, you know, like, even in that, he, you know, makes them treat his friend with respect. You know, like, bury my friend properly. You know what I mean? So there's oh, yeah. that element of, like, you know, I'll shoot you, you know, dead and I'll do it without flinching. You know, but... He doesn't kill the the writer. He you know lets him leave. Right. You know, and he you know his motivation is pretty much like because of his friend's humiliation. You know, like seeing his dead best friend in the coffin in front of the saloon. Yeah. You know how dare you do that? You know, and it's more or less like you know how dare you do that to a human being, not how you dare that to do that to my friend. Yeah. You know. But so I think there was an element of morality to him in that, you know. Sure. Well, but everything he tried to accomplish in life, I mean, he married a decent woman who reformed him, but she dies. He mm -hmm. has children he's trying to raise, but his pigs are diseased. Mm -hmm. The only way he actually accomplishes anything yeah. in the film is to drink whiskey and shoot everybody in the room. He gets the reward money. Right. He does, you know, succeed, I guess, in, in getting that money. And, and he really changes as a character, too, after he's, you know, been, had the cold. Yeah. You know, like, or the flu or whatever it was that he, you know, that he survives. Because yeah, they didn't think he was going to survive. Remember, they brought him out to the house and yeah. brought him soup or whatever. You know, but then he was feverish and he saw you know. the demon version right. of that guy. Yep. But you know, there's a mention in the in the epilogue uh, narration that he he went to San Francisco, mm -hmm. opened up a successful dry goods store, right? Uh, and then he disappeared, and mm -hmm. you know, so it's uh, mm -hmm. there's a mystery to it. Yeah, I think one of the probably during the gold rush or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think you know part of the mystery of the film. I think you know we don't really get to know his wife at all we just get these little mm -hmm. snippets of, of information and we know that she's good she was good right. she was a virtuous woman and uh, I think it's very interesting a very interesting comment at the end where it says um, I'm paraphrasing that the parents came to sort of make sense of why she would marry mm -hmm. this notorious killer right um well, do you think he's also making an argument, too, that within each of us is a William Money, too? I mean, oh, yeah. you know, like, what if your children were in danger? You know, uh, would you kill for them? Sure. There's, you know? there's, there's lots of, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But you see, you know, the character of the Schofield kid, the kid who lies about being a killer right. and is openly scornful of these men. I mean, he, he reminds me of people today that, that say that they would bust a cap in his oh, ass. Oh, right, yeah. When you know that they've never crossed that Yeah, true courage line. is really hard to summon. Yeah. You know, I've had a few moments in my life where I've had to summon courage, and it's it's scary. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. and it's it's not you know for violence or anything like that. It's just like, you know, you get to that brink, and you're like, oh my god, what am I gonna do? You know, I wish there was somebody that would come along and tell me what to do or save me. You know, the type of thing. But I have right. to save myself, and you know who you know. It's a true test of character, but you know, at that moment, but you know, like. Yeah, I mean, we all like to think that we'd be the you know break down the door and do this courageous thing, but. And push comes the shove. Well, he has when he when he becomes the killer again. Then he has mm -hmm. no fear. But there's an interesting parallel scene to the outlaw Josie Wells because in that he faces down several Union soldiers, and he he kills them all except for the last guy that the, the, the old Indian kills. And then he asks, "How did you know which one to shoot first? And he explains his thought process of how he decided to shoot. And he does the same thing in Unforgiven when the writer asks him. How did, how did you know who to shoot? And he explains the whole thing. It's a very weirdly mm -hmm. parallel scene. So I think that he was directly trying Perfect to things. connect yeah. elements of his career. Mm -hmm. um, sure. Because, you know, again, I'll go back to High Plains Drifter, which uh, I don't want any spoilers here, but uh, 
you know, he comes into town and commits these atrocities, and then you find out why he's doing it, and then you find out what he is at the end of the film. Uh, and I think that's sort of the opposite of, of money, whereas money is, is... Yeah, you know his motivation. Yeah. 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 Yep. On that brilliant point, we are going to take a break, and we'll be right back, and we'll discuss more of the specifics, maybe get into the cinematography, uh, camera work, some, uh, some key scenes that we, we find uh, enjoyable. So we will be right back. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Streams are swollen, keep them doggies rolling hard. Through rain and wind and weather, hell bent for leather, wishing my gal was by my side. All the things I'm missing, good fiddles, love and kissing, are waiting at the end of my ride. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up, move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw hide. Ride them in, ride them in, cut them out, ride them in, raw. Keep moving, 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 though they're disapproving. Keep them doggies moving, raw. Don't try to understand them, just rope them through and brand them. impression I fooled I fooled you all right mm, you did so this film I think is beautiful to look at you know I think the uh, the opening shot again it's it's kind of like bookend and um, bookended with you know the two shots uh, of the grave scene with the tree and the I think it's a sunset or a sunrise mm-hmm. in the in the distance I think it's, just a, it's one of those shots where you can just sort of freeze it and frame it, put it on your wall, it's, it's, it's that nice and, you know, like, like most westerns there are some some visually stunning shots of the of the terrain, the landscape mm-hmm. and uh, cinematography is absolutely key when, when it comes to a good western and uh, anything that sticks out to you in terms of camera work and particular shots or well, I think there's like a lot of darkness and light you know, that definitely, like when he's truly being evil it's very very dark you know yeah. like in the rain and the heavy rain and oh, yeah. you know I just I when I watch it I feel like oh my god he must be cold and miserable yes you know what I mean so especially know, when he's getting the tar kicked out of him right uh, by uh, Little Bill Little mm-hmm. Bill you know it, it's almost like you, f- you almost feel like the guy was sick to begin with you know he's, he's like just has like a, right. a, te- a temperature and he's now he's getting 
kicked mercilessly mm-hmm. into the mud, and it's just almost like makes you makes you cringe to watch it. Right. And uh, isn't there lightning too in, in, mm-hmm. the, in the final scene? It's it's, it's kind of cliche, but it really works. Where you have you know he's you know kind of silhouetted, and then you know the lightning uh, strikes, and you you see like the. I think just like how his character sneaks up on them in that scene too is just, just suddenly there. Yeah, it's like oh my, you know, where the hell did he come suddenly from? Suddenly there. Yeah, he's a weird, weird avenging angel in mm-hmm. a sense. Right. Yeah. Unflinching, he's there mm-hmm. to do one thing, and it's it's uh, it's kind of like you know that's 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 his nature. You know, that's it's it's in his blood to be a killer, mm-hmm. and he can't change. He's tried to change, and um, it makes you wonder. It makes you calling the question how much about yourself can you change right yeah because you know like essentially I have no idea what your lives were like before I met you here like you could have been a completely different person and reinvented yourself and likewise so I mean you know like you know, the argument could be made for anyone you know who we were you know 20 years ago is that who we are now I was a member of the Hells Angels were you I forget that yeah, I can see that <laughs> well, that you know leather jacket you wear with Hells Angels on the back I was an international jewel thief were you and now I'm a teacher yeah mm-hmm. yeah I had nothing that exciting well you know but he's 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 not good at everything else you know he's not good at right. relationships or pig he's farming he's not good at yeah, but raising, yeah. He's, he's he's a really master in that killing. in that bar room yeah and you know it kind of is something that he has to reclaim because he you know practices shooting and he's horrible at it <laughs> you know and then it's kind of like all this you know like i was saying after the cold or when it's you know when he recovers from that flu or whatever that he all of a sudden it galvanizes him into being like that loathsome killer again you know with a crack shot yeah you know but you know so you, you take morgan freeman's character as almost a doppelganger i mean he's in a relationship with an indian woman mm-hmm. uh but he he from the time they start to try to kill those cowboys, he can't do it, and he he's sickened by it, and he needs right. to go home, uh, you know. And he's on, and whereas William Money's able to go on and continue the killing, even mm-hmm. though it's obviously a horrific thing, it's not presented. And he has to do it for them too, because yeah. I mean, you know, like there's the obligation of the money that would benefit the benefit the wife, you know, et cetera, and his children, and the other other guy too. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, I have to do this. Yeah. And the Schofield kid doesn't even want the money at the right. end. He just wants to just disappear and never touch a gun again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is Morgan Freeman's character forgiven? I don't, I don't know. That, that you never really get into like who he was when they were together in the back in the day. You know what I mean? Was he his moral, yeah. you know, like voice and you know the angel on his shoulder saying, "Don't do that." Isn't the implication that he was? A, he may not have been, risen to the level of yeah. William Money, but he if he hung around killer. with people like that, yeah. He, he would have had to have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure, he wasn't serving them lemonade you know, or something like that, you know? So. Yeah. I love the shot. I think it's the shot of, of Morgan Freeman's character where they're talking about, you know, the situation and William Money's trying to convince them to come along with them. And there's a, um, it's a low angle shot, if I remember correctly, and it's it's Morgan Freeman's character, whose character's name I forget. And right above him is the, uh, there's a the rifle above the door. You know, is it the same mm-hmm. as things being held over his head? Right. You know, uh, and also it's right there when he needs it. You yeah. know, like Ned, I think. Yeah. Yep, yep, you're yeah. absolutely right. The character is Ned. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like asking you, is he going to take that rifle off the, mm-hmm. off the wall? And, it, well, you know, one thing we haven't discussed yet, too, is is the job that they've been summoned to do a justifiable job? You know, he tries to make it. By the time it gets to them, you know, it's like that, you know, it's embellished, the story's embellished of what actually happened. Yep. You know, somebody's face was cut, you know, and I'm not trivializing it or whatever, right. but, you know, is it worthy of then, you know, hunting that person down and killing Is them? this justice or revenge? Right. And, you know, is the, you know, like the notion of them going there and doing what they're doing, 
you know, something they should be doing to begin with, you yeah. know. Yeah, the one guy who, who wasn't even involved in it, he actually tried, you know, pulled right. his friend off and then tried to make amends. Right, bringing but, them ponies or yeah. whatever, yeah. And they rejected it, but he, he was he was really not guilty of the crime. He mm-hmm. was, you know, he was present and right. and didn't do it, but he suffered. He was the one that he really suffered in his death. That's right. the one that they, they shot a couple times and he was trying to crawl to mm-hmm. safety. Um, and, uh, you know, you're right, it's... it's it's kind of like framed as a knight's quest in mm-hmm. defense of a lady, but it really isn't. Right. And even the girl who was cut up seems uncomfortable by the notion of revenge. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just that's the ambiguity of it, where nothing, unlike the old westerns, you know, there's not a clear-cut good guy, bad guy. Right. In fact, um, you know, in the old westerns, the good guy was the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he wore the white hat, but in this one, the, the villain is the, is the sheriff. Right. You know, he's... And again, once we said this at the beginning of the Perhaps, podcast, you know, Morgan Freeman's character's wife is the only good person in it because you know yeah. we don't actually hear from her. Yeah, it just it just this one shot of watching uh, her watching Clint Eastwood's character right away, or, mm-hmm. or right or them right away, and there's a shot of her. You know, and it's all you need to see is just just this look Dirty of look. look of disapproval. Mm-hmm. But you go there. There's a lot of false morality throughout too, like you said, the the, the, the ambiguity of the quest. Um, the Little Bill trying to be a sheriff, but he's really a, 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 mass, a sadist. Mm-hmm. And then English Bob, who has this whole notion that that, that queens are are right. so much superior to American presidents, and yet he here he is he's a charlatan, he's a killer, mm-hmm. he's a coward. Right. Um, and the, you know they say too, like you know it's right after Garfield was shot. Yeah. You know, like and, you know, like they wouldn't do that, but ironically, they tried to kill Queen Victoria yeah. twice. <laughs> Why not kill a president? Yes. <laughs> you know. Um, I read a film essay on this. Uh, I can't cite it, but it said something along the lines of it criticized the movie um, in terms of the Bill, uh, not Bill, English Bob character, uh, basically calling his character unnecessary. I don't necessarily agree with that. No, and that's be- then that would go to your question earlier about discussing favorite scenes. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, my but, favorite. Yeah, Richard Harris is a great actor. Anyway, oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But just the, the scene in the jailhouse, once English Bob has been beaten and he's in the jail and the, and, and little Bill's telling the writer the truth of what yeah, happened. This is who you really are. And yeah. You can see it in his face. And he pulls that gun out and he hands it to the writer. Mm-hmm. And then he says, Let, hand it to Bob. Give it to him. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Bob won't take the gun. Right. And, uh, I mean, that, that scene is so central to everything I think the film is trying to say and to little Bill's character yeah. and to the notion of bravery and guns that I think that it's indispensable to the film. Mm-hmm. And, and it's yeah. such a, if you watch that film, the tension is just palpable. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the English Bob's <coughs> presence doesn't necessarily move the plot ahead. Uh, nothing shifts on his character, really, but it's essential in, you know, building... But, um, yeah, but well, you wouldn't um, you wouldn't fear Little Bill when when he you know when he kicks right. Clint's butt when he tortures Morgan Freeman. There's there's more context to it, but I mean you know Gene Hackman is such a brilliant actor at showing that understated menace. Like when he's smiling, he's he's mm-hmm. very dangerous. He has a, a, a that quality, and I think that those scenes all serve you know to show what kind of people are going on this quest. What Gunfighters were really like, and I think I think he's indispensable. Sure, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, there's a there's a scene where they're, you know, the cronies are all in the I forget what, what building they're in, but they're talking about you know uh, little Bill's house and how <laughs> shoddy right. it is. The deputies, yeah, 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 and and you know, and someone 
brings up the the, the idea. You know, is, is is he was he scared? Yeah, I, he was. Tell, he was recalling a backstory about uh, about little Bill, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. And, and the guy's response was like, "Little Bill, sc- scared? Like it's the most mm-hmm. absurd suggestion imaginable." And a lot of these scenes, yeah, definitely build up his character, and, and you just realize that this guy is capable of incredible violence mm-hmm. oh, yeah. at the drop of a hat. Right. And then it makes the argument are we all, you know, like, given the opportunity, mm. you know, you get a little bit, you know, like, you know, people like to think that, you know, that I wouldn't be corrupted by power or something like that, but given some power, would I be corrupted? Yeah. You know? Because he's, he's tyrannical, obviously, but, you know, the fact that he does not allow, in a time where it was very normal for people to have guns in them at all times, the fact that, that you have to check your gun at you know right. at this mm-hmm. town limit. This is how, right, yeah. I mean that's a that's really that's nothing not something you see much in uh Well that's Western. tyranny in and of itself, you know, like the you know, how could that happen in America? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, because you have he, the he wants the guns. Right to bear arms. Yeah. He yeah. wants the guns. No one else can have them. Mm-hmm. But you know, you talk he, he when he's kicking English Bob, when he's kicking Clint Eastwood, when he's torturing um, Ned the, you can see the reaction shots. The townspeople, the sheriffs, they're flinching. They're revolted mm-hmm. by it. And he's the same kind of monster unleashed. They gave him the sheriff thing because he can... Pro, you know, well, they live in fear of him, too. Right. Doing that to me, you know, right. that type of thing. Like, you know, like, what gives him that right to do so? Is he, you know, like, is he really that menacing and fearful? Sure you are. If you have all the guns, of course you would be. But there's nothing menacing and fearful really about him. Yeah, because whenever they go to take guns from somebody, there's at least six right. people there with guns backing them up. So right. it's, it's not that whole. You have your crowd of bullies to you know yeah. help you out. And it's it's you know the town is very orderly. There's, mm-hmm. there's, I would imagine that there's not a lot until this time that hasn't been a lot of crime uh, mm-hmm. permitted or law permitted. and order really abides at what price? At what price? And that's right. what we're facing that in politics today. Mm-hmm. You know what we want can only be achieved by giving up what our core yeah. values are. Mm-hmm. Law and order abides in North Korea. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Everything is we sufficient. Yeah. You know. Right. So. Well, at least, you know, Mussolini made the trains run on time. Yeah. Right. You know, but for what? Yeah, yeah. what cost? Right. Right. So I, I think it's definitely a statement of the film mm-hmm. as well. You know? Yeah. So. Uh, for me, I mean, a scene that really I, I feel very... Um, Captivated by and, and, and very emotional when I, when I every single time I watch this is a scene between um, William Money and the prostitute, mm-hmm. the one who gets her face cut up right. uh, when he's on the mend, you know. And you met you referenced it earlier when you know she offers him a uh, a, fr- a free one, mm-hmm. and uh, I just I just think the way the way that's shot. I mean, the the film itself there there isn't a lot of again, humanity. Yeah, yeah, well, th- at that moment, th- I mean, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a ton of humanity, a ton of connection between these two characters, right. and it, it's on, on on so many levels. Um, and it's just shot the way it's actually shot. The the I love the the shot of um, uh, it escapes me, but I think one of the characters in the foreground and the other characters in the back. I can't remember which is which. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you're just seeing both of them. They're not looking at each other. They're both looking in the same direction. Uh, but it's, it just says so much. Yeah. And they're probably the two most vulnerable characters in the movie, too. Yeah. You know, because she's been the victim of, you know, extreme violence and mutilation. Yeah. You know, and he, you know, like, we talked about his whole moral redemption or whatever, you know, like, at that moment, were it not for her caring for him, he would have died. Yeah. You know? And there could have been, there, there is the implication, it's an actual real bill, folks, as you know, um, the fact that there, 
there could be something between these two mm-hmm. characters if they... Yeah, yeah, perhaps he's not engaging in any type of thing because perhaps he might give his heart to her and what yeah. he has to do you right. know, requires no heart. And he wants to be faithful to his deceased yeah. wife. Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty intense right there. Yeah, Whom I right. think he loved. I mean, yeah. she must have been a powerful, powerful woman. Mm-hmm. She doesn't appear a moment in the film physically, but her presence is felt mm-hmm. throughout the entire film. Right. You know, there's a funny scene it's a running gag in the film that he can't get on his horse right. and he keeps falling off his horse at one point he bloodies his nose because horses in westerns are always perfect they, they never, yeah. unless it's convenient to the plot they don't go lame mm-hmm. uh, you, don't, you never see the cowboy really caring for the horse or the upkeep or the fact that you, know, you just can't endlessly ride a horse you know, it's like in those old ones where they could ride the horses forever and shoot 20 bullets out of a six gun without reloading and mm-hmm. hit everything they aimed at whereas he can't even get on his horse right. I mean they were they're tough creatures to deal with unless mm-hmm. you're very good at it and they require a lot of maintenance and they're and getting on them is hard yeah they're huge they're I, can, tall. I, I can fall off of one very yeah. easily yeah but i just thought that's that's another one of those ones where he's de-romanticizing the image of mm-hmm. of the, right. all cowboys he's not just horsemen. gonna hop right on up and you yeah. know right off into the sunset yeah what came to mind is the scene um in the new true grit where he literally rides the horse to death mm-hmm. yeah. right you know, and that's the reality of it. You can't just ride yeah, the horse. Yeah, the horse off. doesn't know any better. Right. I often think, you know, when I watch, you know, the westerns, like just finished watching the Searchers and starting in Silverado, you know, what they do to the horses, like making them, you know, run through cold rivers, making them go down mountainsides. You know, even like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when he's, you know, yeah. um, trying to get back the ark in the final one of the final scenes, he you know rides the horse down the side of the mountain. Mm-hmm. You know, much. I mean, the horse could have easily broken a leg. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but they just go ahead with what they're doing, right. you know, and, you know, without even, you know, any thought. I mean, obviously, they're, they don't have the intellectual capacity to think about what they're doing, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's true, too. Yeah. Well, there's a funny scene in, in Gene Wilder, Harrison Ford movie, The Frisco Kid, mm-hmm. where, you know, instead of riding off like they do in the sunset, it's Sunday, and, and Gene Wilder's character is a Hasidic. Mm-hmm. City, right. and they can't ride on a Sunday, so they have to walk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and they're walking their mm-hmm. horses along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But I think one thing, too, like, you know, this really is a turning point in Clint Eastwood's career as far as, like, you know, not only as an actor, but as a director. Because, you know, he had directed before, mm-hmm. you know, definitely Play Misty for me, mm-hmm. you know, and that was a really great, you know, really good film, 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 you know, but this really solidified as a director. You know, think of the work that he's done since this movie. Oh, you know, it's unbelievable. But, you know, he, he had actually directed a lot before this, but yeah. he's never really given acclaim as a director. Right, you know, that's what I mean. He yeah. directed Outlaw Josie Wales. Mm-hmm. He, had, he had his Mal Paso film company. Um, and uh, There's that one uh, mid-'80s Western that was also very good. Um, the name escapes me. Mm-hmm. Pale, 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 Pale Rider, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that was actually very criticized mm-hmm. because they said it was just a Shane knockoff. But, but you could almost see him trying to, yeah. with the character, trying to bridge the gap between the man with no name and, mm-hmm. and William Money. Well, that came out the same summer that Silverado came out, too. You know, so there was oh, that yeah, kind yeah. of a revamping of the Western a little bit, too. Yeah. And that started kind of like the redemption of that character as well, because if I remember correctly, it was kind of, you know, there's a little bit more to him, a little bit more words spoken. and It had know. a little High Plains drifterish to him because he was, he was seemingly a mortal character. Mm-hmm. He'd been shot and supposedly killed in it. He came alive. He was the man with no name. Right. Uh, you know, he, he serves as an avenging angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, you can see all these elements. It, it's kind of like you know he was he was pushing towards the masterpiece, mm-hmm. but hadn't quite gotten there yet. Yeah, I, I personally think Unforgiven is his greatest western. Yeah, 
Um, you know, when I ask, when I, dimension to it, definitely. Yeah, yeah. When I when I talk to the people, um, often outlaw Josie Wales is, is put on the you know mm-hmm. put above above Unforgiven for some people, but I think you know I, I don't think it's I think it's pretty typical to say Unforgiven is is, is the greatest. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. everyone, everyone can have their opinion, but uh, what do you think is is that something? Do you put it? Do you top Unforgiven? As far as his westerns, yeah, yeah. I would say so. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, Al Josie Wells was one of his most popular, mm-hmm. and, and you know, nothing against the film, but it's a very palatable western. It's it's yeah. it's all the things we like about westerns, as opposed to Unforgiven being a difficult, mm-hmm. challenging, you know, open to interpretation morality tale. Right. But I definitely think it's his masterpiece, maybe of all of his films. And I think it, you know, kind of came out of nowhere too, because you figure in '92, you know, it wasn't really like a resurgence of the Western. The Dances with Wolves won in 1990, <clears throat> you know, and which could arguably be a Western of sorts as well, yeah. but it's not your classic Western. But you know, and this came out in '92 and won in '92 as well. You know, albeit in kind of a year where it wasn't such a great film year per se, but still, you know, like it finally kind of, in, you know, gave him the respect. From the community that really hadn't respected him too much True. before, you know what I mean. You know, Thought funny of him enough, as that one-dimensional yeah. character. Funny enough, is the script had been floating. One of those scripts that had famously floated around Hollywood for for decades, mm-hmm. and it had actually Eastwood had turned it down because he thought he was too young to play it originally, and Gene Hackman had turned it down at mm-hmm. one point. Yeah, and then Eastwood decided that he would play it and direct it, and he, he convinced Hackman. That mm-hmm. Hackman, I think, had retired or was close to it. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. he actually did a few films after it. He but, did, uh, yeah. Um, but prior to that, he had just, you know, had a, had a career resurgence, like Mississippi Burning. Yeah. You know, yeah. so a couple of years before. But, you know, like I was saying before, to think of the films that he's done since then, you know, if you think of, you know, he's had kind of like, you know, blips on the radar as well. Like, you know, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil was a, you know, interesting film. Is it a great film? Probably not. But yeah. then, you know, to then kind of get into the 2000s when he did Mystic River. Yeah. You know, then the next year, Million Dollar Baby. Yeah. The next year after that, Letters to Iwo Jima. You know, I mean, it was just like one on top of another where it's just like, oh, you yeah. know, amazing. You know. Yeah, it's been fantastic. You know, and Million Dollar Baby came out of nowhere, too. You know, because I remember that year, a lot of films have been, you know, really well respected that year. And then when the Critics Award started coming out in November, it was the one that was winning. It hadn't been released in wide release yet, but it was the one that was winning all the Critics Awards, you know, which was pretty yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. You know. What scenes stand out to you? I mean, I, for me, I, I, again, I pointed out the scene um, between the, uh, the prostitute and, and William Money, you know, where she says, um, or when he says, you know, if I was gonna have a free one, it, it would mm-hmm. it would be with you. And I think is that there's a deeper context there that we're supposed to consider. Uh, any scenes, whether they're pleasant, difficult to watch, that kind of resonate with you? I think like you know the whole scene when he finally sees Morgan Freeman's character in the you know in the coffin. Oh yeah. You know, I can really see a shift in him. Like, okay, now you know before he might have had some like, eh, do I really want to do this? It's almost like now I can just you know put all that aside and yeah. I will go in there and I will destroy these people yeah you know and so it's just kind of like this you know shift in his who he is again I think it's an interesting point it's a point of view shot if I recall um, you know from the, his perspective on the horse and you're sort of like yeah and then there's like a little musical minor minor chord there mm-hmm. just really kind of in, in the torches right that really just make it even more menacing yeah and the sign that they had put on him and everything well, I forget what the sign says but something yeah this is what we do to killers or right. assassins. Assassins, because of the assassination attempt that they talk about mm-hmm. quite a bit, the word assassins. 
Yeah, very popular. Um, I, I like, of course, the, it's it's the line because you said one of the um, one of the codes of the old Cowboy West is, is they all they had it coming, mm-hmm. and then then of course you know after the Schofield kid kills the guy in the outhouse and he's drinking and he's trying to convince himself that it was it was okay to do that morally, and he says that he, I guess he had it coming, and you know Clint in typical Clint's growl, we all got it coming, <laughs> and that's that's you know that statement I think on that whole notion of. Yeah. that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, well it's a hard film to watch because of the fact that it's you know it's a really brutal film very brutal yeah you know and it, it's kind of surprising as a best picture winner too yeah. you know because it doesn't have that you know you know Titanic type of feel that sweeping you know like touch everybody type of you know in the heart type of movie yeah you know what I mean but I th- it's kind of it's nice that it was recognized because of the brilliance of it despite all that you know right well, they, again, and there's so many layers. Like you have characters trying to be what they're not. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have prostitutes who are trying to be, you know, victims, but they're really perpetuating the violence. You mm-hmm. have the Schofield kid who wants to be the gunfighter, but he's half blind, and yeah, you know, Clint trying to be a pig farmer, and Bill right. trying to be a sheriff. And but you gotta wonder to too, what, you know, like, what are those prostitutes doing in the middle of nowhere? I mean, I know what they're doing, but you know what I mean. How did they get there? Like, why there? <laughs> You know what I mean? Wouldn't there be greater, you know, our job opportunity that's elsewhere? You know, like, who comes to that town? Yeah. You know what I mean? Enough to keep them employed. You there, know is a, I mean? there is a train station nearby. Right. Sure. What's the town? Big Whiskey? Yeah. Well, and there's there's the, the, the ranch hands. Um, mm-hmm. I always like, uh, and somebody said this about the John Ford Westerns, too, where you're panning across the desert, and there's always in the middle of a, of a wide-open prairie space, there's a town. Yeah. And the question that always comes to mind is, where did they get the wood? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, where's the forest? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, even, like, I'm showing now Silverado, you know, it's the yeah. same type of thing. Just on, the, you know, the empty plain town, nothing. Right. Afterwards, you know. I, I like silver. It, it builds on every Western trope. It just says, "I'm going. We're going to embrace the ideological mm-hmm. Western. Everything we liked about Westerns, let's put mm-hmm. into this one movie." Yep. And uh, it worked. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, liked I it always a lot thought too. it was a good. You film. know, likable enough characters, but they're not, yeah. you know, too sappily likable or you know. Kevin Costner acting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Costner not playing Kevin Costner. Right. Yep. Uh, open range. That was a. Kevin Costner. Yeah, that was too. With uh, Robert Duvall, yeah. yeah that See, that's was, another one. There's, yeah. a, there's those westerns that, yep. that sneak in every yeah. every year or so. You get you get a western you could cite that people say, yeah, that was a good film. Mm-hmm. Never like, knocked it out of the park box office yeah. wise. Well, even like, you know, there were, um, the, I mentioned before the movie The Searchers, you know, the premise of that is about the stolen girl, you know, and then the movie The Missing, you know, which was essentially... Lee Jones? Yeah, essentially the same story. Cate Blanchett, you know, as well. Uh, you know, it's the same story. But kind of like a more authentic, you know, type of take on the same yeah. story. That had the you know? worst death in it I've ever seen when they when they cooked uh, Eckhart, Aaron Eckhart alive. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Over a bag in a bag, so they, they tied him up in a deerskin and put him just above a fire, so that it took like eight hours mm-hmm. or something. Oh, it's hard. I couldn't couldn't after I watched that I couldn't shake that. Yeah, it yeah. Was horrifying. Yeah. yeah. But you know, again, a good film that didn't necessarily get enough or a lot of recognition at the time. Yeah. You know. Or, or like we said, True Grit. We've often debated. We've debated which one we like better, the, mm-hmm. the John Wayne original or the remake. And you know, uh, that was actually fairly successful at the box office too. Yeah, it was really successful. Yeah, did very well. But it didn't revitalize the genre. Like no. you know, I, I think it's going to happen. I think people are going to get tired of the CGI mm-hmm. uh, films and uh, you know where. Well, you know, remember a couple of years ago they had the Lone Ranger movie too, and it was just like oh. Uh, you know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> there you was know. parts of that movie that weren't bad. Yeah. But 
and you know, I hate to say for Johnny Depp fans out there, but mm-hmm. it, that, the way his portrayal and the way they frame that character just ruined the film. Yeah. You think it's you think it's possible that this genre could be revived to the point where it's equally as popular popular as it once was, or, or have we changed too so. much? I think that it kind of appealed to that. You know, like when you think of like when the Western was really thriving, it was during the McCarthy era. So yeah. it was this fervent patriotism that was like either you believe in these ideals or you're a communist. Yeah. You know, there's like one or the other. You know, there's no gray area whatsoever. You know what I mean? And so like the high noon type of thing, and you know. Like, I don't think that that era, you know, I mean, obviously, eras like that can be replicated politically as well, but I don't think necessarily the, you know, like, think of how many films nowadays incorporate spies into them, yeah. you know, and, you know, terror, you know, terror acts of terrorism. Yeah. You know. The biggest genre probably now is, what, superhero movies? Yeah. In terms of box office sales? The right. box office sales. But, and, the, but yeah. the, the Western still exists. I mean, there's, there's, there's Hell on Wheels, there's, there's a couple of others that are still going on. Uh, I don't... I haven't watched them, but I know that the, the Western has always been relatively cheap mm-hmm. to produce. I mean, right. there's a cost associated, but they've... Because there's no special effects and such. Right. You know, essentially, like, you could argue that The Revenant is somewhat of a Western as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it has that kind of feel to it, you know, and it, but, that was filmed really cheaply, you know, and no lighting. He filmed it in an authentic light. No heat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's like, uh, you know, I'm just envisioning, like, as you, you referenced the 50s, and, you know, obviously a very different time. You're talking about an age where kids would walk around with Davy, Davy yep. Crockett, coon, you know, coonskin cap caps and, and pistol, you know. We're, yeah. we're so far from that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yep. think about how many revisions the Western has gone through, even within its day. I mean, for, you had your, your TV shows, and then you would have a comedy. You would have something mm-hmm. like F Troop or Maverick. Right, which kind of poked fun at it. Yeah. Well, even Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood in the 60s started Paint Your Wagon. Yeah. And you know, it, was a, you know, it was a musical. Yeah. You know? And it was a, it was a very funny one, and too. And he says, you know, he can actually sing. Yeah. You know? But, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, the whole notion of that type of thing is never going to replicate itself. Definitely the whole... You know, Davy Crockett type of you know <laughs> TV show or something like that. But yeah, here they they even tried and it failed. They did a, they tried to do a mashup of, of the superhero alien movie in westerns with Harrison Ford and Daniel oh, Craig. Right. Uh, I forget what that was. Cowboys and Aliens, yeah. where they tried yeah. to they, yeah. they do that mm-hmm. mashup. I, yeah. I, I haven't yet seen it. Yeah, was um, it any good? I saw bits and pieces of it, but it, you know, it was, just it was exactly yeah, what the title suggests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's cowboys, oh, there's that's aliens. That's disappointing. That's, uh, that yeah. sounds bizarre. Now if. I don't know. Would you like to see Clint Eastwood say, you know what, I think I want to do another Western? Or, or, do, or do you think that it, we just want to sort of see his Western career end with something so great like Unforgiven? I think, you know, ending it would be, it would be the best. You know, because what more could he say? You know what I mean? What, what could really be said? You know, the, the whole notion of, like, remember at one point they were trying to regenerate the Indiana Jones character with um, Shia LaBeouf. You know, like kind of carrying on that legacy. Perhaps if like it was that type of thing, you know. But even still, I mean, I think it would kind of water it down and you know cheapen it. Yeah, I think you know, he, I think he would he 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 would walk should walk away at the top of his game. Yeah. Because I mean, he's he's not getting younger, mm-hmm. you know, on screen. And again, it, it's painful to watch Harrison Ford try to be Indiana Jones again. Right, which he is. Uh, maybe if they gave movie. him the right script, where mm-hmm. he's actually aging. Right. But. Uh, I think that there are more westerns to be made, though. I think that there are. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's still a viable. Yeah, not every genre. single story has been told. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you know, when we were talking about before, like you know, taking place the bulk of them really kind of finding their voice in the fifties. There were still territories back in the fifties. 
Yeah. You know, there weren't 50 states, you know, until right. like, you know, until the 50s. Right. So there was still like, you know, territories that were, you know, then oh, you know, yeah. brought into statehood. So there yeah. was still that notion of, you know, the uncharted territory and such. The West well. was still kind of the West. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, even in movies like The Wild Bunch and what have you, they're taking place in 1910. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and some people forget, you know, Edgar Allan Poe has right. been dead 60 years at this point, mm-hmm. or 20 years by the time the Civil War is fought. And, yeah. and yet we constantly sort of think of Poe as a modern writer and a modern mm-hmm. author because he was so far yeah. ahead of his time. But, you know, this was, I mean, there was a real dichotomy in this country between what was happening in the East and what was happening in the West. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I think most of, like, you know, the westerns of late have been revisionist history type of you know revisionist westerns too think of something like all the pretty horses as a novel mm-hmm. you know like here were two young men who wanted to kind of you know immerse themselves in the romantic ideal notion of being the cowboy and then yeah. kind of you know we're smacked in the face no of country, the reality full, no country right no country men. old men yeah. well, I mean, a lot of McCormack McCarthy's work is considered yep. like you know neo yeah. westerns well even, even Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid mm-hmm. for it's time and yeah. there's even a montage in there of them being in the city mm-hmm. uh, as well Yep. So the elements still exist. And, uh, yeah, there's always, a, you know, as long as it's a good story to be told, why not? And you always you kind of wonder if, when it comes to the classic Western, um, you wonder if there are, are only so many dramatic possibilities that can occur in such a specific mm-hmm. time and place. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say, obviously, there's always a new story to be told. It's kind of, it's, inf- it's an infinite well. But sooner or later you start repeating yourself. I think the female perspective hasn't really been told. <clears throat> you know, and um, there were there's always a woman in in the movie or whatever. But you know, and I think there was one movie in the '94 or '90. Yeah, I think it was '94 called Bad Girls. You know, it starred like um, Andy McDowell, Drew Barrymore. Um, you know, a couple other famous people at the time. Mary Stuart Masterson, I think, was in it as well. Kind of like you know, taking on the persona of the you know the classic cow, you know, unfeeling. You know, lawlessness cowboy. Right. Well, there was know, one but, that brought together uh, Gene Hackman. Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. uh, where where they were having the gunfight contest the in the, the town, dead. the Quick and the Dead, mm-hmm. yeah, which yeah. is it's, it's a it's watchable a good movie. film, yeah. yeah. Russell Sharon Crow, Stone, Sharon Stone, mm-hmm. and then you get some Lance Heinrichsen, some of the minor guys, yeah. And it's a very it's a popcorn western. It's yep. it's doesn't have a deeper morality to it. It just it's a um, brutal. Yeah, yeah, like the Sam Raimi film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and and you, you can Evil sit there Danish. and eat a bag of popcorn and watch mm-hmm. it and be thoroughly entertained for an yeah. hour and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of being entertained, we hope you have been entertained in podcast land. We are going to conclude this episode uh, on Unforgiven. Uh, again, we are the classroom critics, and we hope that you will uh, uh, go onto iTunes and rate us. Tell us what you think. Tell your friends, and uh, like us on Facebook. And weigh in with some feedback. Uh, you don't have to agree with us, but let's talk films. Yeah, inform us. You know, I'm sure we've we've given some misinformation. Uh, let us know what you think. And I uh, hope we'll, hope we'll uh, see you next time on our next podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Happy trails. Happy trails. Ooh. Happy trails to you. Until we meet again. Happy trails to you. Keep smiling until then Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather Happy trails
happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails to you. Keep smiling until then. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Happy trails to you till 